Hey, one of the most famous and popular characters in the Bible that I want to speak with you about today is the character of David. And I want to focus on a period in his life before he becomes king. Uh, David has lots of high points in his life, uh, particularly when he kills Goliath, cuts off his head, and then he is the hero. Everyone wants to know him. He's incredibly famous. But he's also got periods in his life that are just characterized by just disappointment, failure, and despair. And so I thought today it would be a good opportunity to have a look at David in his not-so-good moments, one of those. And so today I want to talk with you about a story that's a really interesting one in the book of 1 Samuel. And it's a story about a moment when David comes this close to carrying out an evil, wicked revenge plot against an annoying man called Nabal. And the background of this story is that David is a man on the run. King Saul knows that uh, God is bringing his reign as king of Israel to an end. And King Saul knows that God has chosen King da or David to be his successor. But Saul just can't come to terms with it. He can't get through it in his mind that his time is coming to an end and that David's will soon uh, come to will, will soon begin. And so in this kind of silly attempt to undo what God has planned, King Saul hunts David down and tries to, uh, tries to kill him and assassinate him. But David is more clever than he is, so he hides out in the hills and the mountains of Israel, where over time the finest warriors and, uh, yeah, the finest warriors of all over Israel decide that they want to join David in the hills. And so he hides out in the caves and the hills with this special forces detachment of like 600 warriors. And at one particular point, all of these guys from David, they hide out near this large area of land owned by a wealthy man called Nabal. And ironically, as you'll see as we go through this story, Nabal, his, in the Hebrew, literally translates to fool. And while they're there, they protect Nabal's sheep from harm. They also stop uh, potential attacks from enemy, force, enemy forces from coming against Nabal and his family. So before they leave, as is custom, David and all of his men, they go down to Nabal and they say, look, we've been really good to you. We'd really appreciate if you could return the favor by just giving us some food. But Nabal, he arrogantly refuses the request. He insults David. And then there is this incredible fallout from this story that we're going to read. And I'm going to read you this quite a long passage. And in this passage, you'll see we're also introduced to a new character, Nabal's wife called Abigail. And so what I want you to kind of l listen to as we go through this is just listen to how quickly David instantly wants revenge as soon as he is insulted by Nabal. So here we go. 1 Samuel from verse 25, 1 Samuel 25 from verse 12 onwards. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. 
He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes, and she packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal where she was going. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. And then the story gets a little bit crazy from here. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. And in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who, was aven who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. So just in case you're wondering, we're reading from the Old Testament today. And this is like an Old Testament example of God just smiting someone. But what we see in this scripture is that offense works like this. Someone does something that offends another person and then that person does something in response. So someone does something that offends another person and then that person does something in response. So for example, Nabal insults David, David gets offended and then David does something in response. And here are the three kind of responses to offense that we see in this story. Initially, David chooses revenge, which is the worst response that we can choose whenever we are offended. But eventually, he chooses to forgive, which is a good response. But only Abigail, it's only Abigail, she chooses to forgive and bless, which is the best response to offense that we can choose. Even though David had these wicked, horrible plans against Nabal and, her entire, and, and his entire family, um, 
Abigail ends up forgiving David, and what's more, she doesn't just stop there. She blesses him and all of his men, and it just utterly just blows David away. And in our lives, people, if they haven't already, they will do things to you, to me, to all of us here today, that will offend us, that will hurt us, and that will accept, that, that will, uh, you know, offend us. And the same three options in this Bible passage are also available to us. In response to offense, we can choose revenge, the worst response. We can forgive the good response. Or we can forgive and bless the person who has offended us, the best response. And those are the three things I want to work through with you today, just after this short drink break. So let's start with looking at revenge. Revenge means retaliating in order to get even. So I'll give you a few examples. Some of these might ring a bell. Some of these might even have happened already today or yesterday. So it's yelling at your spouse or giving them the silent treatment whenever they upset you. It's cutting off another car in traffic, hopefully not too close to church, uh, because you don't like the way that they drive. Or it's having a terrible meal at a restaurant, and then not saying anything to the wait staff, but just going straight to social media and uploading a scathing review for the entire world to see, just so you can say, don't go there or give them business. You know, and there's many more that I could go through, but I just want to begin by talking about two problems that I see with revenge and why I don't think it's a wise response at all. Uh, to to offense. So my son Ezra has a book and it's called The Tawny Scrawny Lion and I forgot to bring it with me today. You may have read it. It was published in the 1960s um, and it's been in print ever since and it's about a lion who, cat, who chases, catches and eats a different animal of the week each week in the jungle. So on Mondays he chases zebras, on Tuesdays, he, he chases toucans. On Wednesdays, he chases antelope. And the thing is, everything he chases, he gets and he eats. So he has a 100% success rate. And one day, all the animals he hasn't yet chased and eaten, they get together and they have a crisis meeting in the jungle. And as an outcome of their meeting, they appoint a spokesman for all of the animals. And it is a fat little rabbit. And they decide that this fat little rabbit is going to be this person who's going to go and broker a deal with the lion and try and work out a peaceful resolution. And so the fat little rabbit one day, he hops over to the tawny scrawny lion and invites him over to his house for some tasty carrot stew. And the lion thinks to himself, tasty carrot stew sounds absolutely disgusting, but I'll go anyway with the rabbit because as soon as I get to his house, I'll eat him and his entire family. But the rabbit is very smart and cunning, much smarter than the tawny scrawny lion. So what he does is he deliberately tires out the lion by taking him on the scenic route home and stopping all along the way to collect different ingredients for this stew that they're going to make when they get home. When they finally do arrive to the rabbit's house, the lion is so tired, he's so hungry, he just sits down and he can't move. And he sees all these rabbits just hopping around, all around him, but he can't do anything about it because he just doesn't have any energy. So this is the moment where the little rabbit, he hops over with a tasty carrot stew, he gives it to the lion, 
Grudgingly, the lion starts to eat it, and to his delight, he absolutely loves it. You know, it's like the tartness of the carrot, the crunch of the walnuts, I don't know, whatever they say in MasterChef, all that stuff, you know. And he loves it, so he eats bowl after bowl after bowl. And although this is just a children's book that my son has, it's just so deep, the way that the story finishes is that the lion never regains his appetite for eating animals ever again because he has acquired this new taste for a much better dish, the tasty carrot stew. And he just finds that now that he's had that, now that he's got a taste of something beautiful and something new, something different, he just kind of discovers that eating animals never can really satisfy or nourish his hunger because every time in the past he would chase one, he would catch one, he would eat it, it never really hit the spot. It never really brought the relief that it promised him. And so it is with revenge. You know, we can, we can oftentimes what we think is we get offended and then we just think, oh my goodness, I just need to get revenge. But the idea of revenge is always better than the reality of revenge. You always feel worse after you get it. You can pursue it, you can get it, but it never satisfies you. It never nourishes you. It never brings the relief that it promises us. And, it's, I, I, and I really want to say today that the only thing that can really hit the spot is to actually forgive the person who has offended us and to let go of that resentment. And that's like the tasty carrot stew for us. The second problem with revenge that I want to talk you through is that it doesn't belong to us. It's not ours to take. In Romans 12, 19, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. And the message here is that revenge is God's role, not ours. Because only in his hands can revenge be used in the right way and for the right purposes. Whereas when we take it into our hands, we use it in the wrong way and for the wrong purposes. And the message of this scripture is also that if there are wrongs that need to be righted, that need to be fixed in our lives, that God sees them and we can actually trust him to deal with those, however hard it might be for us to actually trust that God does see it and that we can actually leave it to him, we can actually do that. Trusting him doesn't mean that we can just kind of go, all right, God, this person's offended me. Lord, I'm just going to trust that you're just going to strike them down. That's not what this is saying. It just means that he sees, he knows, and that he can be trusted to settle any accounts that need to be settled. So revenge is the bad response to offense, but the good response to offense that I want to talk about is forgiveness. So uh, every family has particular traditions and, and ways of doing things. And I just wanted to talk about, on my side of the family, a few uh, traditions we have. But when I prepared this message, I didn't anticipate my uncle, my auntie, my grandfather would all be here today. So this is all just in jest. <laughs> I'm really just talking about my parents. Just talking about my parents. So on my side of the family, there are three things in particular, my parents, that are really, really important to us. Uh, punctuality, TV, and competition. So... Every family gathering that we have where my brother and sister-in-law will come along as well goes pretty much like this. We all, it, it, it always starts by us all arriving on time. We're never late. 
Then we either talk about what's the latest show on TV or Netflix, then we might watch TV, and then it always descends into a really competitive board game between my brother and I, or my brother and my wife, Janelle. But on my wife's side of the family, Janelle, and her, her mum's actually here today as well, um, <laughs> gifts are very important to the Ivies. Gifts are very important. So birthdays, Christmas, and special occasions uh, just times that are taken very, very important. And so gifts are, are something that's really important to her side of the family. You know, and also in the family of God, we have traditions as well. We have particular ways of doing things. And forgiveness is one of the traditions of the family of God. It's something that makes us distinctive from other kind of religious groups or religious communities. Forgiveness is who we are. It's what we do. It's what we're about. You know, the Greek word for forgiveness, as it's used in the Bible, is interesting. It means to give up resentment or claim to revenge. So to give up resentment is, I'm no longer going to hold a grudge against you. And to give up claim to revenge means you don't have to watch your back anymore because I'm not going to pay you back. So, you know, if you can just think about it for a moment... We can go through our lives, like up until this point, everyone has been hurt, upset, or offended by some person. And every time we're offended, if we're unable to kind of move towards forgiveness, what we're actually doing, I've got my trusty bag over here, if every time we're offended and we're unable to forgive, what we're basically doing is we are just picking up resentment and we're beginning to just kind of carry it around with us And we just begin to kind of like struggle and languish under the burden of resentment, which I think a lot of the time you feel kind of in your mind. It just sort of makes you feel numb, but you also feel it in your heart. Food doesn't really taste as good. Your hobbies that you normally enjoy, they're just not as fun. Everything just seems to be kind of dulled down a bit, doesn't it? But, you know, as Christians, our tradition, one of the things we're called to do is to actually forgive, which means to let go of and to lay down resentment. And that's something that, you know, God calls us to do as Christians. And I really believe that in prayer, we find the power and the strength that we need to let go of and to lay down resentment. Matthew 7, 7 says, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And um, I've got a bit of a story about this one. And it's uh, a confession is this isn't the first time I've preached this message. I'm sorry. I've preached this message before at my old church. Oh, you forgive me. Thank you. Good on you. Lay down resentment. See everyone. Um, and at the end, I provided an opportunity for people in the church to come forward for prayer if they felt that there was some kind of offence that they had incurred in their life that they were unable to let go of. And at the very end, uh, a few people came forward, but there was one elderly lady that I took notice of because she just came forward and I couldn't really see what she was doing, but she just, I don't know, it just looked strange. She just came, came forward like this just like that, and she was mouthing something, and I couldn't really see what she was mouthing, but my cousin, who was a pastor at that church, he prayed for her for a good 10 or 15 minutes, 
And then after he, after the service, I said to him, you know, like, you know, what happened? And he told me that that lady, that her son had been murdered uh, a number of years earlier and that what she was saying when she came forward was how, 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 how. She was actually praying under her breath, asking God, how, how, how can I actually let go of this? And that day, I was just thinking about it afterwards, that day in that church where I preached that message, if there was one person that I really feel that God spoke to and really gave a revelation to, it was that lady because our prayers don't always have to be, God, you know, I thank you that I'm letting go of this resentment. It can just be, God, I'm just so stuck. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. You know, I was so hurt and, you know, I've just, this person did such horrible things to me. And that was her prayer. God, I just, it's like, you know, in James chapter 1, 5, if any of you uh, need wisdom, you should ask God for that wisdom. And um, I just think it was a great example of, you know, like we find the power and the strength through prayer to let go of resentment and to lay it down. And that's exactly what that lady epitomized on that day. So revenge is the worst response to offense. Forgiveness is the good response to offense. But the best response to offense that we can choose is forgiveness and blessing. Earlier we looked at Romans chapter 12 verse 19, but I want to look at it again this time with verse 20 thrown into the mix. And this is how it reads. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And here in verse 20, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. So Abigail epitomizes what this passage calls for. In response to David's offense and his plans against her, she doesn't just forgive David in her heart and leave it at that. She goes one step further by responding with kindness and generosity by blessing David and his men. So how can we apply this scripture to our lives? Well, as it relates to offense, the message here isn't just to forgive, but it's also to identify and then genuinely meet a need of the person who has offended you. So it doesn't mean that if someone says something hurtful to you, that you might go, oh, it's okay, I love you, man, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's because that's just responding instinctively with something that sounds nice and religious. It's actually stopping and thinking through, well, what is it that this person kind of needs? How can I actually meet that need so that when you actually do respond by meeting that need, it's received as a genuine blessing from that person? It's actually genuinely adding value to their life. You know, and the effect this has, which you might have been wondering about, is heaping burning coals of shame on their heads. What's that talking about? Alexander McLaren said that it's clear that the coals of fire which are to be heaped on the head are meant to melt and soften the heart and cause it to glow with love. It's actually talking about when you bless people, it actually blows them away so much 
that it's like that it's talking about you know that the coals of shame on the head that then that then trickles down and it actually begins to melt the heart and it begins to soften it and it begins to open it up so if you think about what happened with David when Abigail forgave David and then she blessed him he was so blown away that it actually just melted his heart it opened up his heart to God and then it actually provided an opportunity for positive change in his life had he carried out this evil revenge plot he could have potentially thrown away his opportunity to become king of Israel so her her responding to him with that blessing it then just made him go wow I've just, you know, I'm just incredibly in this, in this spot of sin and I need to change. And, you know, some of you today have been estranged from family members maybe for years because there was an offence that happened and then as a result you just kind of haven't spoken to them, they haven't spoken to you. And what I wanted to just put out there today is what if today you were to actually pick up the phone and you were to call them and you were to just ask them how they were, and, and you were to offer to help them with a particular need that they have in their life. You know, if you have a work colleague that you don't speak to because you just kind of like don't get on and they just always get on your nerves, what if you were to actually, just taking this verse into account about forgiving and blessing people who offend us, what if you were to actually go back to work tomorrow and you were to offer to help your work colleague with a project that they need help with? You know, what if the, the next time your spouse upsets or offends you, what if instead of re- retaliating with a silent treatment, what if you were compassionate and you offered to help and support them with something that they need help with? You know, the whole deal with responding to offence by forgiving and blessing the person who has offended us, it's not just the right thing to do, but it's the best thing to do. And what you'll find is that it actually makes reconciliation much easier and much more possible. And the only exception to this that I would probably throw out there today is that if there is maybe some kind of like legal measure that has been put in place to protect you from somebody else or to maybe even restrict you from contacting someone else, then if there has been an offence in that kind of relationship, then it probably wouldn't be wise or sensible for you to reach out to that person. But today, instead of that, I think it would just be good to get to a place of forgiving them in your heart. So just by way of wrap-up, there are three ways of responding to offence. Revenge, the bad response... Forgiveness, the good response, and forgiving and blessing the person who has offended you, which is the best response. And my hope today is that each person can just take a step forward today in regards to this message. You know, if your default response to offense is just going into retaliation and silent treatment, then today I just encourage you to take a step towards becoming more forgiving and gracious to the people around you. If your default, sorry, if you harbor resentment and anger towards someone in your life, then today I just encourage you to just take a step towards actually letting that go and laying that down and just leaving resentment at the foot of the cross. And if you're aware of long-standing friction between you and another person, then I just encourage you to just find a way to bless them.